You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Rated PG-13. Empire. Hello and welcome to my podcast, sponsored by Lone Oak Coffee. One of my saving graces every morning during the lockdown, a cup of coffee made from the beans of Lone Oak Coffee. Today, I have insight on Redskins receiver Antonio Gandy-Golden from his receivers coach at Liberty, Maurice Harris. Not that Maurice Harris. This one shares memories of what makes Gandy-Golden a potential help for Washington. And just so you know, I have a story that will be on ESPN.com this weekend about Gandy Golden, some of his exploits, and what makes him a unique person. And I'll be chatting with ESPN's Stefania Bell, a go-to person for medical coverage and also fantasy football. But today we'll be talking about her Alex Smith piece on E60 and his recovery that is airing on ESPN Friday night. Please tune in. It's tough to watch sometimes, but it gives you a sense of what he has endured and why he still wants to play. But first, my conversation with Liberty receivers coach, Maurice Harris. One thing I want to do before I get, I'm going to get into all the fun things that he can do, the unique things he yes. can do. But I do want you to, you know, just to talk to you about what are the Redskins getting in, in Antonio Gandy-Golden? Man, again, first of all, a phenomenal person. You know, he's a tremendous kid, hard worker. Uh, a leader, a guy that's um, going to ask questions um, about you know, whatever's going on schematically from his job to the tight end's job to the quarterback's job. You know, he's uh, a guy that wants to learn the, the whole schematic play as opposed to his piece in a puzzle. And um, he's going they're going to get a guy that's, that's going to compete uh, every single day to be the absolute best that, they, that he can possibly be. In your short time with him, what did you? Where did you see him take a big step in terms of his growth? Uh, I probably would say um, just a, a belief that uh, he could dominate every single play. You know, uh, I, I thought that uh, prior to us getting there, you saw it sporadically, uh, and then as the season, well, as spring went on, and then into summer camp, into the season, um, I thought he knew when he got on the field, he was, he was the best player out there. So um, just uh, that, that he belongs in that league, um, I thought that he took uh, some tremendous gains throughout the season uh, to solidify that. What did you work on? Because he credited you as well with helping him get there. So what were some of the first things that you worked on when you saw the big improvement throughout the year? Well, one thing was his stance and start. You know, I thought he was a little bit high in his stance. You know, we wanted to get it lower. And also just using your tools once you make your release, you know, being physical with your hands, right. uh, not giving uh, the defender a, a big target to hit uh, at the top of routes, you know, just creating separation, not stepping underneath yourself. We call it a term wiping and ice skating right. away from the defender, um, holding the line, 
you know, things of that nature. You know, what I mean by holding line is, you know, when we're side by side and I'm giving the quarterback real estate to throw to at least five yards so we can make it an outside show to throw or okay. stacking the, the defender as well. Right. Uh, those are some things that we identified uh, early on in the process to get him better at. And when did you see him take that jump from being a guy that maybe had some good talent to being a guy that you thought maybe this guy, maybe this kid's going to play in the, in the, in the league? I would say um, during fall camp, when he started doing it on a more consistent basis, when those scouts were able to come out um, and, and watch him practice, that's when he started doing it on a more consistent basis. And then our first game was a huge challenge for us. We played against Syracuse and, yeah. you know, you're playing against power five corners and an opportunity to uh, just show what you, what you have against those guys. And when he was able to dominate, I, th I thought that gave him confidence to um, propel himself through the rest of the season. You know, it's funny that Syracuse game because I watched that before the draft. He was beating them. It's funny because I heard that he he's he struggles off the line of scrimmage. He was beating them consistently off the line of scrimmage in that game. You know, I mean, it was just kind of funny. But what did you see? What did you see from him just as a player in that game? Yes, you know, um, I do think that he's gotten better with releases, but I think that's a, a part of his game he still needs to get better at. You right. know, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, but. I do believe that he's gotten better. And because he can get off of press coverage, uh, it allowed him to be a little bit more successful this season. And also, uh, you know, it, it was it was a whole process. You know, he had to – it was something new for him. Right. Um, he had to believe in it. And then when he started believing it, actually execute it. And once he, um, you know, felt comfortable enough with it, you know, I think there was one game that, that, that challenged him, probably the Rutgers game more so than any other game. But other than that, I thought he did very well with releases and getting off of off, off press coverage. What's the key for him there to getting better at it? I would say just the small things. You know, one thing that we emphasize, you know, because he's such a big guy. Right. You know, especially when he's using, he's using his inside hand on, on the outside release. It's right. just dipping that shoulder and getting skinny, you know. Um, if he doesn't do that, then uh, short corners can get underneath his pads. So he has, even being a tall guy, he has to dip his shoulder. Now, one thing that helps him is that, you know, he's a strong individual as well, you know, but right. when he gets to the NFL, those guys are going to be, you know, coached up number one, but just as strong as he is. So just the small things, you know, get skinny um, and, and, and what we call running the hoop to stack the defender, those small things will help him. And I also want to talk, you know, go over some of the, like I said, some of the fun things that he can do because he's got some unique other talents. Are you surprised by some of the other stuff you can do, the juggling, the Rubik's Cube, all that stuff? Upon first meeting him, yes, um, I was surprised. I remember uh, when I first met him, that's when I heard that he bowled a 300. Um, and, and then he was sitting there playing the guitar, and he was playing it like he had been playing it for like two years. And I said, how long have you been playing the guitar? He said, you know, about two weeks. So, <laughs> he, you know, he, when he starts something, man, he, he really can, you know, just – you know, excel the process uh, expediently because of, um, you know, just the time that he takes into mastering whatever he's doing. You know what I mean? And that, you know, kind of uh, goes uh, to the football field as well. You know, when he sees uh, an obstacle in a way, you know, something that's preventing him to be the best he can be, then he's going to try to master that, that skill set. And what, what, was, what were one of the two couple of things that maybe surprised you that you learned about him? Rupert's Cube was, was definitely one of them. 
but you know, all these guys play this game where they try to hit the crossbar, you know. Yeah. And um, so he would do it from his knees from 50 yards out, which is incredible. He would do it standing up from about 60 yards out, which is incredible. But from 20 yards out, he would turn his back to the crossbar and like throw it over his shoulder like that. You know what I mean? Really? So that that was pretty. Yeah. That and was he would hit it. To me. To hit he it. He would hit it. It was crazy. Yes, to hit it. It was crazy. Yeah. So he was beating like so he's on his knees from 50 yards out hitting the crossbar. Yes. On his knees from 50 yards out hitting the crossbar, 60 yards out standing up, and about 20 yards out with his back turned to the crossbar and just throwing it behind his head like so. That is different. I hadn't heard that one. I've heard all the other stuff, but that, that one is a little bit is a little bit unique. So, um, I mean, when you know, he also said he's yeah. going to take up golf too. I know, and, right? Yeah, I, and I'm. I think it was Coach Freeze was like he's probably going to be a five handicap within a short time. That's just kind of how he is, right? <laughs> no question about that. You know what I mean? And um, you know, anything that he does, you know, he pretty much masters. So I won't be surprised if he's. Uh, whooping Coach Freeze here soon. <laughs> well, the other thing I want to ask you about too is the jugs machine because he credited that as well. How much work did you do mm-hmm. on there? And it seems like it's that hand-eye coordination where you see it in the juggling, the Rubik's Cube, all that stuff. How did you see it play there and how did that help him? Well, that's something that we do on a daily basis, you know, and we do it seven different drills on that. So pretty much every ball that they catch or can't possibly catch uh, from a quarterback, we simulate that on the jug machines. And mm-hmm during special teams period, during um, post-practice and pre-practice, uh, we work on, on the jug machines on a daily basis. So not only did AGG get better with his catching, but our entire receiving group got better as well. Sure, and did you, because I'm seeing all these videos of the one-handed, left-handed catches. How, was that something he was doing before you got there? Or was that a credit to the jugs machine work? Well, he's been doing it all his career. But I, I would say this, so in practice, and AGG came up with this, for every drop pass we had in practice, we got five push-ups. Okay. And for every uh, incredible catch they would make, we would take those five push-ups off. But AGG created a standard of just making one-hand catches. So that wasn't an incredible catch for him. You know, it may have been for right. someone else. Right. Now, if someone was draped over him and he was making a one-hand catch, then we counted that. But if it was just a standard one-hand catch, it didn't count for him because because he's raised his standard up, you know, higher than the other guys. That, that's that's pretty good. And, it, you know, it's funny because and I was talking to him about this, and this will be the last question I want to ask you, and I appreciate your time. But one thing, you know, in 2018, there were some knocks on him because of the drops. And then I looked into that, and it turns out that he had the broken yes. hand. So how did you see that? Mm-hmm. You know, how much did you see, like, that not being an issue and, and, or was that ever an issue for you? No, it was never an issue for us, you know, as far as his broken hand and things of that nature, you know, but they're probably, you know, explain a few of his drops. You know, I, I truly believe that um, if you focus in on the ball, he, he had some problems this year with his hands, with his wrist in particular, you know, but if you focus in on the football and, you know, eyes to tuck every single time, you'll be successful in catching the ball. You know, I don't like to use excuses for those guys. You know what I mean? Right. It's a part I, of the game. Right. Other absolutely. guys are playing, you know, banged up, beat up. And, absolutely. And I think that's very fair. And I think, you know, I, but sometimes you try to explain, well, why was it like this and then not here? So, and again, the very last thing, was there a catch yeah. that he made? Was there a catch he made last year where you just say, wow? There was probably two that come to mind. Um, the one against Maine, 
you know, we had extreme focus. You know, he kind of caught it, um, you know, in a cup of his right hand, oh. which is just non-dominant hand. Right. You know, he's a lefty, you know, right. and then the one against um, against Ruggers, you know, for okay. a touchdown. It was an amazing catch, yeah. He held the guy off, you know, the ball was on his outside hand, and uh, he made an incredible catch while the uh, while the the safety was coming over over the top, you know. So just his his focus and concentration was amazing on those two catches. Coach, I listen. I appreciate your time. Fun to talk to you about him. I think he's going to be a fun player to watch here. Yes, sir. I definitely believe that as well. Thank you so much for having me. After this break, I'll be back with ESPN Stefania Bell as we discuss Alex Smith. What does she think? about a possible return. A couple months ago, I stopped into a store for a sandwich, but it was the smell of the coffee that knocked me over. That's when I fell in love with Lone Oak Coffee. I bought some of their Mexican blend and was happy for the rest of the week. Lone Oak is a small specialty-based coffee roaster company in Winchester, Virginia. They finished ninth in the nation in the U.S. Coffee Roasting Championships in 2017. They have received many awards for their house blend at the world's largest coffee roasting competition. Here's what I love about Lone Oak. They dial in each coffee to fit its best profile, bringing out the natural nuances and highlighting interesting flavors. I'm drinking their Brazilian blend now with a mix of nutty and almond flavors. They have coffees from all over the world. I love their smooth Colombian with hints of cocoa and caramel apple. Go to LoneOakCoffee.com, L-O-N-E-O-A-K, coffee.com. And when you order, use the code COFFEE2020. That's COFFEE2020. You will receive a 5% discount with free shipping on any orders over $25. Start your day off right with Lone Oak Coffee. Welcome back. Now here's my conversation with ESPN's Stefania Bell. Now I'm very honored to be joined by ESPN's Stefania Bell, and I'm sure you guys are all aware of the piece that she's doing with Alex Smith, Project 11, on E60 Friday night on ESPN at 7.30 p.m. Stefania, thanks for joining me. I want to start off with this. How hard, because this is an incredibly personal situation for the Smiths. How hard do you think it was for them to come to that decision that they wanted to, to make, turn this into a project that people can learn from? I, th- I think it was probably hard initially because clearly it involved a lot of trust. Right. But I actually think that's part of the reason they wanted to do it was so that they could tell the story um, really in a, in a documentary style. You know, I, I don't right. think they wanted do it piecemeal. I think that's part of why, um, you know, they're private people, as, as you mentioned, and they, uh, it is a difficult situation. So I think, but the genesis of it really came from conversations with their doctor, Dr. Robin West, who's the head team physician, obviously. And uh, when Alex had gotten through the worst part of it, he was looking for examples people who'd gone through similar things. Right. What have other athletes in this situation done? This is commonly what athletes ask. They want to talk right. to a guy, somebody else who's been through this. And she had to tell him, uh, there really isn't anyone that I'm aware of who's had something exactly like yours, uh, certainly not anyone in the NFL. And 
I think it was during the course of those conversations, he thought, well, you know, I'm going to go down this path and uh, might as well document it because maybe it will give somebody else hope if they have to be in a similar situation in the future and they'll be able to look and say, well, this is what this guy did. And it was a brave step, to be honest, yeah, because absolutely. they made the decision. They had no idea how the story would evolve. For you, as somebody with your med the medical background and all that and what you do for ESPN, I don't know if excited is the right word because I don't want to use that in the wrong way, but there is that, that other side that for you to be part of this project, what did it mean to you and for what you could, part you know, what you could learn, what you could show? Uh, it, I think it is fair to say that you're thrilled to be included in right. something like this um, because these stories don't happen, thankfully. You know, it's not the kind of thing you want to have happen um, on a regular basis. But uh, I think grateful is probably the word that comes to mind the most because I recognized right away that this was going to be a challenging road for. Alex and sure. Elizabeth and the whole family with, as I said, so much uncertainty about what would come down the line. And Alex was very clear that he wanted us there for everything. You know, once he committed to doing it, it wasn't like, well, you guys, you know, if it's a bad day, maybe I won't have you come. Or, you know, if he thought he was maybe not going to get the best news from the doctors, maybe keep the cameras out. No, we were there. We were there at doctor's visits. Um, you'll be able to see that in peace. But right. uh, that, that willingness to be that open and transparent through the whole process, especially when you don't know what's coming because there right. isn't an example to come before you, it, it took a lot of trust. It was very generous of them. Um, I was, I was uh, humbled that they chose me to do it. Um, so... Really, it was a combination of all of those things. We can all see the pictures. And, you know, for those of us who have seen, you know, I'm, a lot of people have seen a lot of the video or some of some people, all of it. There are some pretty gruesome photos and, and things that you see. What was the, for you, what was the hardest part to see? Because, like, we're, you know, again, the average person can look at the, at the pictures and like, oh, my gosh, what was the hardest part for you? It's interesting because I didn't see those photos right away. So, of course, the, the, the worst pictures are from the earliest time in the right. hospital. We started on the project. It was around January of 2019. So Alex had been home from the hospital for a few weeks. Um, he was still quite uh, gaunt at the time. Looked right. like a guy who had been in the hospital fighting for his life. And he was still on antibiotics and very weak. And that he, his leg was wrapped at that time and he was in the external fixator, the big cage that's on his leg uh, that you see in the piece and certainly that you've seen because you, you right. covered this. But uh, I didn't know what his leg looked like. I knew there had been surgeries. I didn't know how many. I knew there had been an infection and he'd lost some tissue as a result, but I really didn't know how much. And it wasn't until they shared the photos with me and we were, I don't know, um, maybe, you know, maybe it was February of that. And I think I saw some of the pictures. He actually gave Dr. West permission for me to see some of the things before he had fully looked at them because okay. there were some that he had just not seen um, and didn't see until he was a little further along. 
uh, of course, you know, his wife had seen them and right. you talk about break. She, she was familiar with everything that happened when Alex wasn't even coherent uh, to engage with the medical staff. So um, I think when I saw how bad it was, I was taken aback. And here I was already working on the project with right. Alex. I knew in medical speak what he had lost. I, but it, so visually, because I couldn't imagine how is he walking around. Right, yeah what he's lost and so uh, I think that, that also factors into why we're compelled to share some of the images because Alex's request was that he wanted this to be authentic he wanted it to be real he wanted people to understand the good and the bad and, and so his willingness to share uh, really compelled you to share because it's you, you simply can't put into words what uh, what a cat catastrophic loss he suffered. You really have right. to see it. And you know, it, it's one of the things that the players here talk about with Alex Smith is what a great leader he was. And when he was out, I think they realized just how special he was as a leader because they all talked about even after the season, this, how the season changed for them. And when you hear this and some of the stuff he's talking about, he's filling that leadership role. And sometimes it's for himself. Sometimes it's just for his kids. And as a dad, like, you know, I always figure, like, I want to show my kids how to handle something. And I hear him on the Scott Van Pelt interview kind of saying the same thing. And it's really, like, it's really kind of, I guess, awesome. You know, so how did you view his mentality, his attitude throughout this process? Oh, John, you hit the nail on the head. I cannot say enough about this man. He is uh, so impressive in so many ways. He's bright. He's inquisitive. I mean, he's got this intellectual curiosity that made him want to know as much about what was happening along the way as possible. Um, it's fascinating to watch him and Elizabeth throw around these medical terms like prose, uh, mostly because they were thrust into it, but right. that's just who they are. And he, it was very important to him. I mean, his early goals were get back to being a dad. You know, when he was right. trying to figure out how to walk and how to get from one room to the next in his house, his goals were, you know, what can I do? How can I be a dad to my kids going forward? I mean, this was front of mind and football was not. Um, so I think that's always, you know, that's been the core of who he is. Uh, the leadership qualities really, if you talk to anyone, you'll see in the piece, we, we went way back. Uh, they, they really made themselves apparent very early in his career. And it's interesting because I've said to people already, you know, I, you wonder if some of the adversity he's faced, the situations he's been put in, obviously your life experience is what it is as you move forward and evolve. But all of those experiences, I think, set him up to succeed here uh, because He's handled, we've seen him handle difficult situations. Right. And this was, you know, far above and beyond anything else he'd ever faced, but those same qualities emerged. He is very forward looking, doesn't waste a lot of time dwelling on the past or things that have gone wrong, uh, but he's very focused and determined. So he just translates that into what am I going to do next? And I think he approached his return to being a dad and a husband the same way he is now looking at, uh, you know, returning to playing sports. 
It, it is funny because like when you talk to people with the Redskins, everybody's always like, well, if anybody can do it, it's Alex. And they, they hear the military training that he does, you know, that he's gone and done. So they know that he's going to put in the work. And so like they're, nobody's willing to write him off. The other, I do want to ask you, I want to, only a couple more questions than Alex, but I wanted to ask you about Elizabeth Smith because I read the first person piece that she had with you on ESPN today. And my first thought was, it's not just Alex who's pretty damn tough in that family. You can't survive this as a family if she is in a certain way. Correct. And I'm so glad that you noticed it. And thank you for taking the time to read the piece. I, yeah, um, terrific. Wow. Just a sidebar, I learned something really interesting about writing. Um, when you're doing a first-person piece like that, it is tough um, it is. because uh, you really want to capture the essence of the person. Those are all her words. I mean, this is, this is her, and you're trying to just present it in a way uh, that will grab the reader. So thank you. Thank you very much for reading it. Um, was she there were there were it was an easy decision to do it that way because elizabeth was the person who was the most involved from start to finish right. you alex i mean he'll acknowledge that there was about a week where he doesn't really remember much he was on a lot of medication and understandably so so kind of fading in and out of consciousness not lucid and elizabeth uh, and alex's parents were there but clearly as the wife and mom of their kids the way she's processing the information and dealing with what she's dealing with and trying to keep the kids' lives as normal as possible. This was something that was so important to her. Uh, it's, I, I just couldn't believe it. And you know, I first met her in January of 2019 when we went down to their house and essentially had this face-to-face -face meeting to sort of confirm that we were gonna embark mm -hmm. on this journey. She impressed the heck out of me that night and i i knew i was like boy this woman deserves a medal because she was just holding everything together so well and i kept yeah. thinking is there going to come a point where she's just going to collapse from this from the weight of this because at that point she was alex's uh nurse right <laughs> you know 24 yeah. 7 and um also mom and I just couldn't imagine how she was doing And also with the uncertainty, it wasn't like, well, this will just be for a few weeks and then we'll carry on. It was not knowing what was coming next. And I think just watching her and uh, her grace through all of this, um, they are quite a team. I mean, they you are, talk yeah. about couple goals. <laughs> yeah. These are couple goals and uh and, and I appreciate you recognizing her strength, and I, I think everyone should recognize it. I, it. Alex doesn't have the same outcome, I don't believe, if Elizabeth isn't who she is. Oh, I, I agree with that a wholeheartedly. Listen, I know what my wife does for me, and when I read that piece, to be honest, it kind of chokes you up because you know like how hard it must have been for her and how hard it is to keep yourself together when you see your spouse struggling like that and somebody you love. So and the last thing I want to ask you, Stefan, you know, you know, again, we, we hear flesh-eating bacteria, 17 surgeries, and a little sidebar, I do want to say, shortly after all this happened, I had a Redskins coach tell me that on the way to the hospital, Alex asked about the score and how was Colt McCoy doing? And I remember tweeting that out. I remember I actually, I shockingly, well, it's Twitter, so not, not so shockingly, but some people are like, well, so what, big deal. And then you read all this stuff, you know, it's, it was a huge deal for him to take out that time at that time. But anyways, that's the sidebar. 
what I do want to ask you is the big, <laughs> the big question that everybody's going to ask you. Do you think he can play again? Yeah, that is the one that everybody asks and everybody wants to know. And, and you know, it's so hard to answer that question because, you know, Alec, we, we don't know so right. much of what's going to happen. So obviously, these, these are all hypotheticals. And really, in the context of where football is in the current climate of this COVID-19 pandemic, right. we don't have a regular schedule. So it's almost harder to know what to anticipate. I mean, as you well know, had OTAs happened, we might have some insight there. Absolutely. I think Alex was forward to being a part of OTAs and now OTAs didn't happen, but you know, they have their virtual off season training going on right now. And he's preparing as if he's going to be there. And I'll tell you one thing I learned on this journey was it won't be me who says that he's not coming back <laughs> uh, because what I see him come uh, overcome in this time has been nothing shy of remarkable. And, you know, at this point, because he's made the progress he has, you know, January of 2019, yeah. none of us were thinking about football. As you saw him make these gains and continue to exceed expectations for everyone, not that anyone knew, like, oh, there's going to be a limit here or we'll cap his progress here. You just don't do that in medicine and, and uh, you leave the doors open, but you sort of have in the back of your mind these concepts of what's realistic perhaps and, and what isn't. But you break the goals down for the patients, which you always do, and you give them small goals. And that's big credit to Seth Lee, the physical therapist who was working with him every day. You just make these goals that are focused and small because it helps keep it, the, the end goal, if football is the end goal, for example, is so far away. Right. And Alex keeps meeting and exceeding these goals you have to keep setting them further and further out and he's at the point where he's doing sports specific drills and agility yeah. training i mean this is what people do when they're getting ready to return to a sport so whether he does or doesn't alex smith will be fine that much i know uh, but i think this guy is one of the most competitive people i've ever met he's incredibly driven uh, you talked about his work ethic he's known for that if alex smith wants to step on the field again I believe he will. And, and you know, Stefania, he's going to have a nation rooting for him after this, especially. And again, it's why people always say, if anybody can do it, it's Alex Smith. And there's not a single person here who's going to say that, no, we can't. I think it'll be up to him. And I also think, you know, my last comment on this is that what he's doing it for is, even if he doesn't get back on the field, he's already won. The fact that he's even trying to do that, put himself right. in such a better right. spot that I just don't think you can – you know, you can't minimize that part of it. So, you know, that, I think it's, right. just, it's, it's remarkable. I, I was just going to say, I think for people to, uh, and, and you understand this because you cover a team, but for athletes work off of goals and challenges. And Alex sees this as like the ultimate challenge, right? No one thinks I can do this. Nobody thought I could do this. How cool would it be if I can do this? You know, and I think uh, continuing to have something to motivate you and to drive for and to reach towards, that works wonders for athletes. So it's fine to have that goal. You know, you know what I mean? Regardless yeah. of whether it happens or not, the way he's working towards it is just keeping him going and going and going at a high speed in terms of, of 
just trying to increase his workouts and do more and more every day. So um, I love it. It's inspirational. I hope everyone finds it inspirational when they watch the piece. Again, it was a gift from them to allow us to be along uh, for the journey. Um, and the story's not, you know, the, the final chapter hasn't been written, so who knows? Um, maybe, you'll, maybe, maybe there'll be an update to this uh, going forward, but uh, it, it, I think it's a great time to share it uh, because he's in a good place right now, and I think it's a story people could use. Stefania, I, I appreciate you joining me. I think this was terrific, and people are going to learn a lot. And again, it's the E60 at 7.30 p.m. on ESPN, Project 11. And if you miss it, you or DVR it, I'm sure it'll be replayed a few times. Oh, Thanks, Stefania. And by the way, the, I know one of the re-airs, um, there will be several, but I know one will be on Sunday night on ESPN2 following okay. the next installment of the Jordan documentary. Awesome. Cool. Stefania, thank you very much. Thank you, John. After this break, I'll be back with a few nuggets of my own. Will the Redskins pursue Logan Ryan or Jason Peters? Welcome back. Now, a few nuggets of information I think you need to know. Number one. As of this recording, the Redskins have six roster spots available. I was asked a lot about why so few undrafted free agents. They only signed for the lowest amount in the NFL. You can disagree with their reasoning, but here it is. They felt it would be extra difficult for a UDFA to make it this year without the benefit of a full off-season of work. The players who ultimately make it often open eyes in the spring workouts and become guys to watch entering training camp. If the NFL goes right to camp, those UDFAs will have an even more difficult time making a roster. Typically, only a couple are going to make it anyway. And yes, this cuts down in the possibility of who, or cuts down the chances of finding those guys. But most of the UDFAs enter camp as long shots and are really just camp bodies and guys that may be down the road you look at. So there's, and so yes, there is a benefit to it. I'm not, if you want to say they're wrong, that's fine. I'm just telling you what the reason is. So there's usually only a couple teams that, you know, where they think they have guys that they, excuse me, there's usually a couple guys that they feel like have a shot anyway. The Redskins will have a younger roster already with perhaps at least half their roster players of 26 years old or younger. Maybe more than that. Like I said, that's the thinking. If guys like Thaddeus Moss and Isaiah Wright make the roster, the Redskins would have the same amount of UDFAs they typically do. They just are pulling it from a, from a more shallow pool. And I know that when before the draft, I was told they kind of targeted guys already. They knew some guys who would be there. So those UDFAs were already on their roster and they knew because they knew they only wanted to identify guys that they felt would legitimately have a chance to make a roster um, more so than in the past um, when you bring in maybe 10 guys or whatever. Um, <clears throat> anyways, that's a thing. And again, you can disagree with it, but that's what it is. Number two, another question I get asked a lot about, who then fills those spots? I was told that they'll be looking hard at veteran minimum type players, maybe a guy like corner Aaron Colvin, a, a midseason pickup last year. But for those wondering about the bigger salary guys, I wouldn't wonder too much anymore. Unless the thinking changes, I don't see them in on guys like cornerback Logan Ryan um, or a guy like Jason Peters. As far as the offensive tackles, it does sound like they want to see what Jaron Christian can do. 
He's entering his third year, has bounced between both tackle spots. They'd like to see what happens if he just focuses on left tackle. I have my doubts. I know people in the building were very skeptical last season that he would ever pan out. For some, I don't know that those feelings have really subsided, but they want to see. Between Christian and Sadiq Charles and even a Cornelius Lucas, they're hoping that somebody can fill the position for a year until finding a legitimate long-term solution, unless, of course, Christian surprises people. He definitely has his flaws. He's not Trent Williams, of course. Very few are. Trent Williams had his flaws, too. He just played at a much higher level, of course. They know that Christian's play demeanor isn't as strong as some others, but they do like him. They do feel like he can be a help in pass protection. He may not just have the overall demeanor that you may want, but they feel like there are some things he can do that could maybe help. We'll see. They're hoping he can at least do things well enough to offset any flaws. If not, they'll have to move on. They can either use Charles. Charles also might get a look inside. Lucas is really more of a backup. They know that but they're going to try and get through the year with those three unless you go to camp. And if you go to camp and somebody is really bad, or if it's not as if it's a worse situation than you thought, then you go out and you try to find someone else. That's where they got Donald Penn last year after it was clear that Williams wouldn't be reporting. Penn wasn't great at all last year. He also wasn't the reason they were 3-13 and 13 and had some issues on offense. But I, like I said, this is the plan for now. If it changes, it'll be because they're not seeing what they want to see from, especially from Christian. Number three, I don't want to focus too much more on Trent Williams for now because he's gone and I'm burned out on the entire situation. But earlier in the week, Ron Rivera joined the Kevin Sheehan show and said that he heard the Redskins could have gotten a first-round pick at the trade deadline. Now, what I have long reported and told you is that they did not receive a first-round offer. The day Rivera said this, I checked back with multiple sources again and they insisted there was no first-round offer. That doesn't mean they couldn't have gotten one. I think they, I think we're playing semantics here right now. But I don't think I think they may have been able to get one had they handled it differently, and that perhaps is what Rivera was talking about. Having said that, and I don't know if Rivera was saying they had a firm offer or not. I know people in the building weren't telling him they had such an offer because I know that they the best one they really received was a one for a second and a third. And however, I think. I think what Rivera might have meant is that, yes, they could have received one had they played it better. And I don't, I'm not, I don't want to put words in his mouth. I don't know. But that's just based on what I know from what I've been told by people who, some people are still there, some people have left. Um, I'm guessing that could be what the thinking is. I know it's easy to point every sin on Bruce Allen. We all know that. I think the mistake here in this whole situation was that they weren't aggressive early on in building a market for Williams. That is where you would have gotten your first round offer had they been able to do that. I know. I also know people in the organization always felt Williams would return to play. They miscalculated it, just like they did with Kirk Cousins. Um, that was on Bruce Allen. I know during the summer, some teams were definitely interested. That was the time to really build up the interest in him. But again, they thought he was going to come back. New England, Houston, I believe Cleveland as well, all showed some level of interest. I know the Patriots pulled out the minute they heard it was more about money than medical for Williams. And I believe Sheehan reported at the time the Patriots would have offered a first-round pick. But again, that never was offered because they pulled out. Houston, I believe, did talk to the Redskins. They went and got Larry Mutunsel, as you know. The Redskins slow-played it with Williams and weren't aggressive up until near the trade line deadline. By then, it was really too late to get what they really wanted to. I was told at the time, and was told again this week, 
The be again, the best offer was for a second or third. So that's pretty close to first round value. I don't know if that's what Revere meant. So again, I think this is very much on semantics and perhaps it doesn't matter, but it does to me because I want to portray, portray situations accurately. I don't take reporting lightly. I don't take anything that's inaccurate lightly. In this situation, I can't really change what I know because the people who were involved at the time, some of whom remain with the team, all have been consistent in what they've said. Um, and it's been multiple people. And again, I'm, this isn't a knock on Rivera. I'm not saying that at all. I agree with him. They could have gotten a first round offer had they taken a different approach. They did not. The saga is over. We move forward. Up next, speaking of Rivera, he also told Sheehan that it's up to owner Dan Snyder when it comes to naming Kyle Smith the general manager. It's clear that it's trending in this direction as Smith and Rivera have worked well together this offseason. And I'll say it again. The Redskins could have signed a few more free agents, and I'd still say the best development this offseason was the relationship that these two have developed. Ultimately, it's more important in developing this franchise than anyone they would have signed. I can't emphasize enough how mismatched the parts were the last few years at times. Not in every situation, but in some key free agent moves or some offseason moves. While quarterback Alex, Alex Smith is widely respected, I don't believe that would have been Jay Gruden's first choice. It was Allen going out and making these moves, oftentimes separate from what his coaches wanted. There are too many examples of this. And again, it wasn't like it was everyone, but there are definitely more examples than you would have liked in, a, in an organization where, you, where cohesion should matter, in any organization. And I don't see that happening anymore, not with Revere and Smith. As one person told me, if Revere and Smith have a disagreement over a player, it will not be owner Dan Snyder settling it. No, it'll be these two, these two football men in a room coming to a football consensus in a civilized way. That is a good change for the Redskins. Finally, the Redskins declined to pick up the option on linebacker Ruben Foster, a move that was 100% expected. Because of his health, it makes no sense to pick up the option. If they did and he got hurt during the year and couldn't pass a physical in the offseason, they'd be on the hook for his entire salary in 2021. I've provided an update on Foster a few times and people keep asking, so I'm going to give it again. They don't know yet when he'll be healthy. It could be for training camp. They don't know for sure. He's coming off the eight torn ACL, as you know, and he also had some nerve damage. They aren't sure yet when he'll be fully healthy and ready to go. Yes, they're hoping it's for camp. What they do like is how he has worked. That's it for this week. Thank you to Liberty Coach Maurice Harris and ESPN Stefania Bell. Please watch the Alex Smith E60. It, it was extraordinary work by Stefania, and Smith granted them rare access. And as always, thank you for listening. We're getting through this together, folks. And remember to support our sponsors, especially Lone Oak Coffee. And I'll talk to you next time. I have a guest I think you'll really like hearing from. If you like London Fletcher, that is. Mm -hmm.